no, no, yes. <laughs> everybody welcome back to keith and mike watch deep space nine boy do we have a story to tell you this week because we're talking about deep space nine season one episode 13 the storyteller uh mike how's it going the increasingly uh <laughs> Mike, who is getting larger as we speak. Yeah, I'm growing with enthusiasm, some would say, Keith, because mm. we got a great episode in store today. We're talking the storyteller. And really, the question I'm going to have for you at the end of it is, what is mm. the story we're telling? That's my big question for this mm. episode. So mm. that's let's tee it up. But uh, it's nice to see you, my friend. Yes, well, like nice to see you. And I'm hoping that, that uh, by the end of talking about this episode you won't have quit the show so we're we're gonna we're gonna push through it's the storyteller folks uh it's gonna be an interesting discussion i imagine and uh you want to know who else i find interesting the people who support this show and uh folks you can support us in, in a lot of different ways and you don't have to go all the way all the way to paying us money because that's, you know, that's pretty extreme. You can do us a big favor by liking and subscribing and leaving a comment below here on the YouTubes. We're trying to get to 500 subscribers so I can drop Star Trek The Wrath of Neener mm -hmm. on all of you. And if we uh, get at least five me. new subscribers this week, Keith will not click that pen for the next hour. All right, fine, fine. I'm throwing my pen away. <laughs> It's bad. It's bad. I know. I, I apologize. <laughs> the fidget spinner but, uh, was so good. What happened to that? Fid I know. I don't, well, I lost it. I have uh -huh. so many fidgety things on my right. desk and in my hands that I can never find the same thing twice. What other ways can uh, people show their thanks, Keith? Well, folks, uh, we you can show your thanks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash k and m and you know you're thanking us you're supporting the show you're being a producer but you're also getting bonus material and we're going to tell you all about the bonus material after we announce who our patrons are this week including brian kaufman casey clark cloud lover 69 jorge navoa the mysterious and alan zimmerman crm productions and charles babbage mike what have they won uh well some would say they've won nothing, in fact, that their lives have become mm. inundated with crap they don't want. But in case they're interested, we just posted a new AMA for this month. I think I posted it. Yes, I'm pretty sure I posted it. Uh, they also get our behind-the-scenes look at the Out of the Practice podcast, which uh, going be behind the curtain on that one is something special. We're in the home stretch, Keith. So home stretch. You can check the last few out with us. It's been a ride. And speaking of rides, I am watching every single episode of Deep Space Nine and talking out loud to no one, but it doesn't have to be no one. It could be you uh, for the low, low cost of whatever you want to give us. So uh, those are some things. We're also, Keith and I are watching some other episodes of other shows. We're going to post that exclusively just for the patrons. We appreciate it, everybody. If for any reason it is financially uh, 
off-putting or or difficult. <laughs> to, no, no, no. Uh, We're personally off-putting. Yes. It's not financially off-putting. As Keith said, there's other ways to help out the show. We appreciate you guys. And uh, this show is always staying free thanks to our patrons. Keith, let's get on with it. Yes, indeed. Tell a friend. If you, you know, if you're a Deep Space Nine fan, because you are, because you're watching this, uh, tell another Deep Space Nine fan that we're doing this, because it's fun. All right. So uh, I think that's all of our further ado. Let us get into the storyteller. So this episode aired on May 2nd, the year 1993, coming up on my 13th birthday, folks. We were listening to the number one hit. I can't wait to hear what Mike has to do about this. Uh, we were listening to, of course, Freak Me by Silk. <laughs> it's funny. I, I can't hear it. All I hear is giggling. <laughs> I, I was really all ready for Informer again, but I wasn't ready for Freak Me. I don't know Freak Me. What well, happens Freak uh, Me? We're going to have to hear what Mike thinks Freak Me is. <laughs> When you're dangling your feet on the promenade And you're looking at pretty girls You're wondering if they should go and make a political treaty Hell no, they should just come up here and freak me My name is okay, Nog, well that- freak me Jake and Nog, freak me Okay, folks. Uh, well, before the FBI gets here, uh, let's talk about this episode. <laughs> wow, that was so worth every piece of that. Uh, and you know, if Jake and Nog were going to uh, sing that song, they would be making an indecent proposal, which was in its fourth week of domination in your cinema. We continue our story of uh, what's happening in Russia. In the New York Times, uh, this week in 1993, foes of Yeltsin riot in Moscow as the political turmoil continued uh, in the pre-Putin days of Russia. So, the storyteller. Well, Keith, hold on, but one more thing. I, I, I yeah. should have done this much earlier, but I'm not very good at this. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our viewers, not just our patrons, but all of our viewers for Putin, you on blast. I asked, and they delivered uh, about your Dr. Zeusing, and uh, there's plenty of great hits. Uh, thank you for all of your comments. Keep them coming. <laughs> Always point out when we're idiots. And if you want to just like ridicule me about freak me, I am expecting it, and I probably deserve it. So thanks again. I think somebody needs to arrange and record and uh, release freak me. <laughs> the remix. That's uh, the freak remix. Me. All right. Mike and Deglio's freak me. Okay. Whew. So the storyteller was directed by David Livingston, who last directed The Nagus, and was written by Kurt Michael Benzmiller, who uh, this and the Next Generation episode Times Squared are his only writing credits. And it has a teleplay by Kurt Michael Benzmiller and Ira Stephen Bear. So uh, I think it is time we get into something trivial, Mike. You, you, you can't adjust the knob. you got to hit the button, bud. Yeah. Now, Keith, waste your time with Trivial Trivia. Okay. Storyteller. The, uh, the trivia itself might be more interesting than the show itself. 
The exterior shots of the village on Bajor were reuses of the Romulan prison camp in Birthrights Part 1 and 2. Because those matte paintings are expensive. So uh, we will frequently see them reused and repurposed, uh, which I think is uh, just interesting. So this story is based on Rudyard Kipling's short story, The Man Who Would Be King. Uh, this adaptation. It's funny how often you see that in on Star Trek. Um, adaptations of other stories. Other stories that we know. Um, and because sci-fi, it's uh, uh, legally distinct because you've changed all the elements. The next piece of... I have too many things in my hands. I need to drop all things from my hands. So in this episode, we get a reference to <laughs> baseball player Buck Bakai. Uh, with his first reference on Deep Space Nine. Wouldn't be his last. He would be born on Halloween 1998. So, in our universe, Buck McKay would have already been uh, playing in the majors. He will, in Star Trek terms, break DiMaggio's 50-game hit streak in 2026. So, pretty soon, get him on your fantasy team. Guys. Uh, but he was first alluded to in the Next Generation episode, The Big Goodbye. Keith. What's wrong, Mike? Tell Keith, not Keith does not watch baseball. One of the most famous streaks in all of sports is not 50 uh-huh. games. It's 56 games. I don't know where you're Did I not say from. 56? I had it written down. You said 50. Okay. If, as long as you wrote it down oh, right. right. Oh, my I wrote God. it down right. Okay. I swear. I'm looking oh, at the notes here. right. I'm sorry. I'm not. I, I have proven that uh, I may have done my homework. I'm just illiterate. Oh, okay. I think that's really the issue. That's that's what's going on. But Buck Bakai. I love that your first uh, instinct was you weren't recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you used the sound of like, oh, Keith, we have to start over again. We've heard that, that before. That was, You're right. There's a peek behind the curtain. If you hear Mike make that noise, usually it means he forgot to record his audio and we have but to start over But when I'm excited, again, so. you just hear, freak me. Freak me. Uh, yeah, Buck Bakai, we might... Uh, we might ha- it might be making an appearance here relatively soon. So this story, the storyteller, was first pitched for the next generation and kicked around for years before it was used on Deep Space Nine because uh, apparently at this point they were kind of out of story pitches. So mm. they had to produce something. And this episode feels like something they had to produce. Uh, but you know who did produce is the set designers and builders because they built this entire village in only seven days. Mm. And they only had the stage cleared for three of those days. So when you go back and you see the uh, village set, it's pretty remarkable what they're able to put together in such a short amount of time. For sure. The guest stars this week include Lawrence Monison who plays Hovath, who was also First Officer Ryan and Fortunate Son on Enterprise, or will be First Officer Ryan and Fortunate Son. Kate E. Cooter, who uh, plays Sarah, who also played uh, Cytherian in the Nth Degree on The Next Generation. Gina Phillips plays Varys Sewell, who I certainly knew from Jeepers Creepers coming up later in her career. And Jim Jansen plays Farron, who will be back on Deep Space Nine as a different character. So, uh, Mike, I think it's time we get into this, huh? Shall we tell some stories in our screening room <laughs> after my favorite new transition? Uh... 
ba 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 Ah, you're welcome, America, and the world. You're welcome, the entire world. All right, so the storyteller. We begin in our teaser with a captain's log of sort, which is, I believe, the first of the season. Mike, can you think of a time we've had a, started with a captain's log uh, or a commander's log? I don't think so, but we get a few in this episode, a couple supplementary ones as well. Yeah, which which is a, a, a next generation thing that happened constantly. <laughs> But this might be, I think it is the first time we've seen it on Deep Space Nine. So Cisco has been asked to mediate a dispute between between two rival Bajoran factions. All of this feels like a Next Generation episode. The, the factions are the Paku and the Navat. So O'Brien goes up to Cisco to ask not to be sent on an away mission to Bajor with Bashir. And based on what we've seen of Bashir so far, I don't blame him. Uh, this is a separate story. There's something going wrong at a village, but we don't know what happened yet. And uh, so we meet uh, Bashir here. It's weird. We don't know what's going on. We're just like, ah, I just don't want to go with that jerk. Uh, but at the end of the teaser. Yeah, and you would think that we, O'Brien, as busy as he's been, <clears throat> which he makes a f- sort of meta commentary about in this teaser, which I love, where he's like, actually, for once, everything's kind of going okay, but I just don't want to go. I just don't want to go. And, like, why would O'Brien be the one to go? I guess I guess at this point we don't know because we don't know if there's technologically something going wrong, which I guess technically there was, sort of. Uh, but at the end of the teaser, we meet the leader of the Paku, and it's Gasp, a teenager. Uh. Cut to credits. Uh, so yeah, there we are. That's our teaser. I, I don't know how excited I am at this point in the, uh, in the show here. Well, because it's like, Hey guys, negotiations, negotiations. And, and like someone is a couple of years younger than you'd expect them to be gassed. What's funny is that already in this episode, I'm like, didn't we do this like a few episodes ago when the, like the Nagus came, but and we had to like negotiate with him. And then there's another thing we weren't negotiating treaties. Uh, treat high. Well, it's I guess Star there's Trek. Be a lot negotiation, negotiation is like three quarters of Star Trek. All right. Well, but it's it's very. I mean, it, it's a very next gen story, right? Picard is helping two factions negotiate. That's like thirty or forty of the next gen episodes. Uh, anyway, we begin Act One, and as they travel to Bajor, Bashir and O'Brien chat. Bashir asks O'Brien if he annoys him. Yup, it's a little awkward. Uh, O'Brien is having a hard time hiding his disdain. He keeps calling Bashir Sir, and Bashir asks him to call him Julian. So I think this is probably the most interesting part of the episode is like little this sort of character dynamic, which is one of the few things that is sort of specific to Deep Space Nine and these characters. How were how were you feeling about that, Mike? Well, it's funny because it was twofold. One, it's interesting to me, and maybe I just hadn't picked up on it, that they I hadn't recognized uh, O'Brien's annoyance with Julian or with Brashear. I mean, he's a little he's a little bit uh, gregarious and uh, he's a go-getter, but I, I didn't think he was annoying anybody. But okay. But because he's also so flirty, I was also picking up a, a thirsty vibe in the uh, in the runabout there, but that was clearly uh, not 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 happening. I mean, that would have been interesting. I could have seen it, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, Bashir just like, I'm thirsty for all. I mean, I imagine, you know, Bashir is pretty annoying to Dax and everybody. But yeah, I guess we haven't had a a beat. We haven't had much Bashir and O'Brien yet on the show. Yeah, which is, I think, why it's kind of cool, especially in a first season, for a mashup, this, this buddy cop team here, because... Uh, and the way the power dynamic plays out is fairly interesting throughout the episode, so I'm 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 here for it. No, and I I like that. Um, there's actual sort of tension between the two of them, um, which is something that always happens on Star Trek, especially in this era. Like conflict between the characters uh, wasn't really that common, and so even if this was like a mild annoyance for Star Trek, that's a big big amount of conflict for '90s Trek. So uh, they arrive on Bajor, and the uh, oh, the chairs in the runabout look comfy. I'd like to have yeah. one. I don't know if uh, I, I noticed that. They beam down to the village, and they can't find anything wrong with the soil or the water. Then a concerned guy comes running up to show them an old man is dying, and uh, says if he dies, the whole village dies. And they're confused. Uh. The, w- w- I think we all are mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, okay, um, could but, you, you know, all stand directly next stakes. to each other, please? Thank you. Yeah, everybody just, you know, just get in. You have to fit the 4 by 3 frame uh, with the, all of your future villager costumes. There's dead Big, guy. Uh, There's dead guy. There's dead guy. So uh, back on Deep Space Nine, the two factions are not getting along. They're fighting about property lines. And it seems our teen Tetrarch, Varus Sewell, is totally in the wrong. Diverting a river to steal land, to steal land, which uh, is an interesting thing to set up here because we're going to be following her mm-hmm. as sort of our hero in these negotiations. But my understanding of the conflict is they, they'd always had the river was the border between these two lands and, and Varus Sewell's people diverted the river to change it. And then took that land. That feels like you just flat out in the wrong, right? Yeah, here's the thing. See this guy's face here? That was my face. I'm glad you just summarized it for me, Keith, because <clears throat> I didn't pick up any of it. It was seemed really dry and boring to me, so I didn't pay much attention. And <laughs> I didn't even go back to figure it out. I was like, okay, drama, drama, drama. She's going to storm out. That's what happened. And uh, mm-hmm. she's a little young and perhaps immature in her leadership or her negotiations. Yeah. So. That's going to clearly need to develop, Keith. Yeah, in, indeed. And you want to know what in that scene also gave me that face? It was uh, the fact, for some reason, the underboob alien is the appropriate caterer for this meeting. Oh, where's the underboob alien? Uh, I don't think you got a screenshot uh, of it, but she's there holding a tray. It's like from the pilot, the underboob lady. And I'm like, is this is this what the, the appropriate... I mean, forget the fact that one of them's like a, a child. So it's like this is a diplomatic meeting. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. This is what happens when you let Quark cater. Never let Quark cater. Uh Quark calls the Tetrarch a little lady, and then she throws a drink in his face. This seems appropriate. Meanwhile, on the promenade, Jake and Nog are throwing things at a couple of dickhead aliens. The aliens aren't dickheads. Uh, practically, they just... They have dicks on their heads. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, nowhere to go. Nowhere to hit Mike's oh, funny wow. bone. You didn't think that joke was going to score as big as it did, did you? I did not think. <laughs> I mean, their heads were trying to score. Uh, but, all right. Let's step too far. Uh, 
All right. Jake wants to play baseball. And for some reason, they're like throwing things at these random people who have done nothing to them. Jake wants to play baseball. Nog says it's boring. Nog is right. And apparently humans stopped playing it for some reason. Yeah, that was a weird take. But also, I was like, wow, I didn't, you know, everybody loves, well, people who liked baseball, Keith. Sitting in your backyard and like throwing pop-ups to yourself was always like the game. I was just thinking, what if I could have my favorite baseball player, Babe Ruth, let's say, hit me pop flies for like an hour. Um, so cool. And that's when I'm like, yeah, holodeck, baby. Holla sweet. Yeah, I mean, that would, that would be awesome. I, I don't think it would be baseball. But, I don't think it would be just but, sex. There's plenty of other stuff, like Babe Ruth baseballs. I mean, maybe. Like, no, you you, you got to take a break. Yeah. Get a true. sandwich. <laughs> hit some hit some fly balls. <laughs> hey, anyway. Get used to that, uh, but folks. It's, it, it's a weird – it's it's weird that they wrote in canonically that professional sports died, or at least baseball died, because clearly this fan this show is a fan of baseball. Baseball's gonna like play a sort of a, a role in this series. And yet canonically they're like, oh, we just grew out of baseball as a sport. Now, I understand it if like baseball just became boring and we played hockey or something, because that was more interesting. But it, I got from the implication here that like all professional sports stopped. Well, maybe we've maybe our ideals have ascended to a place where we don't need it anymore. Well, but like maybe it got too complicated well, we, with all of different if, species and stuff. We had felt like we couldn't. Well, no, that's that's true. Uh, but I think like sports are an evolution onto themselves, right? Because if you go and really think about like, what is football? What is soccer? What is baseball? It's a simulated war. It's us growing out of like going and attacking the village next door. So we'll, we'll do it symbolically with the sport. And I, and certainly there are like, yeah, but you won't need to, you wouldn't need to symbolically go to war anymore. If you could just take the warring factions and beam them to a planet where they're in perpetual war. Uh huh. Right. Right. And just, Put them in hell. Okay, yeah. fair enough. All right, I take it back. That's such a better way to handle it. Or I mean, so, in Keith's world, watching baseball is hell. So it's a it's a one to one. It is parallel. a little bit. Yeah. It is a little bit. I mean, although to I, I when I played fantasy baseball, my team name was I hate baseball. But then as I got into it, I ended up changing it to I tolerate baseball, Ooh, which I think is growth. Folks. I think that's more. It is growth. It's definitely growth. So Odo shows up and tells them to move along. Apparently, there are vagrancy laws on the promenade. Then Nog sees Verasul walking below and is immediately in love. Uh, you know, I understand. Yeah. Uh, then uh, you uh, we get up on Bajor. Bashir examines the old man who wakes up and shouts about the Dalrock. The old man thinks that O'Brien has been sent by the prophets to help the village. He kicks Bashir, and then he kicks Bashir and O'Brien out abruptly. They explain to the first guy that the old man is dying. Uh, the first guy explains that a monster comes out of the woods at the end of the harvest for five nights, and it's coming tonight, and only the Sarah, the old man, can stop it. And they're like, uh, all right. Uh, by the way... What? There's not the woods so much as the sky, but okay. Right, and like, yeah, that, that that's not going to make any sense in like, like 10 seconds. Moments, uh, yes. In moments, that's not going to make any sense. Uh, and also, like, I, 
I think part of the thing that I I always wonder about this story taking place on Bajor, because it's a modern planet. Yes, it's been through a war and been occupied, but like, how has this been? Was this happening through the occupation of Cardassia? Like nobody thought to come in and like figure out what's going on. It's well, then if you want to really pull that thread, which I don't suggest we do, uh, we've got Jorans all around us, or we've got Kira on the, so like a, why wouldn't she be in the plot line? Right. It feels like she's better suited for it. Or B, would she have mentioned like, Oh, if you're going down there, you might just heads up. There's this giant monster that comes out once a year and we have to fight off. So be ready for that. Right. And, and if they clearly got this information to deep space nine, Right, and and were credible enough for them to send two of their officers there to solve the problem. Wouldn't they give them a little bit of a heads up on like what's going on? Yeah, it seems like on? the person who was in distress, that prophet, seems to be a fairly notable character. So when he's sent out a distress, probably a little they yeah, or at the very least their computer would have given them that context. You get a you get right, a briefing, cause like, right? Because like imagine, all right, you're you're Cisco. I'm gonna hail you. Beep beep beep. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, we're having a problem uh, on our village here in Bajor, and I need you to send two of your main officers to fix it. Okay, I'm going to send my Bajoran uh, chief and uh, no, 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 no. It's it's got to be it's got to be your your Federation officers. And and uh, before you ask, no, the Bajoran government can't handle it for some oh, okay. reason. Can we get a little context about what's going on? Uh, the, uh no. You sent a dossier all. or two. Are, are any monsters nope. coming from the sky tonight? Uh no, we're not gonna tell it. We're not gonna not gonna talk about it till you get here. It's a surprise. Ooh, all right. Is now is there anybody who's clearly qualified to handle it, but for some reason the people won't allow to just handle it? Uh no 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 we're not we're not it's 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 mysterious. Oh, it's okay. mysterious. We so it's send be an us. engineer and a doctor, but we're not gonna tell you why. All right. Stupid folks. That's what we call right. a bit. <laughs> it was a bit of something. <laughs> so an act two. <laughs> Back on Deep Space Nine, Nog and Jake are creeping on Vera Sewell. They go to her quarters. No, no, I think they find walk a... directly into her quarters, Keith. Uh, yeah, well, they're, they, but first they have to fight about who's going to ring the bell. Sure. Naturally, she opens the door. <laughs> then they uh, walk in. Then they just walk in and sit down. And she's like, <laughs> into her okay. quarters. She's like, sure, why not? Jake offers a tour and a chance to see the wormhole open. She agrees, and Jake and Nog are pumped. And Nog's like, wormhole's been open. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, was, was he singing her a song? I, it's terrible. This this might be the worst episode of Deep Space Nine and Keith and Mike yeah. watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, back on Bajor, Bashir tries to convince the Sarah he's too sick to fight off the monster. But how would Bashir even know that? What, what Bashir doesn't even know there is a monster. Or how he would fight it off. Anyway, uh, Sarah refuses. The old man stands on a rock and shouts at the sky as the wind blows. The Dalrock wakes, and they all shout at the sky. And uh, the Syrah is clearly Shakespeare trained. Uh, yeah, and this, and this this shot made me laugh, just because they were like, extras, go stand on that weird set piece and just stand there. I think that's our bridge from our Titanic yeah. <laughs> tour. 
think oh, it's going to yeah. slowly tilt. <laughs> so, Let uh, my a weird cloud. Go! Let my... Exactly. A weird cloud appears, and O'Brien can't see it on the tricorder. Out of the woods, apparently. Whatever. It's a monster? No, it's a cloud. Whatever. Uh, so Prospero yeah, that's what continues like, shouting. Yeah, we're trying too much about this. Yeah. Uh, Prospero continues <laughs> shouting and gets the town to shout at it too. Oh yeah. This creates a light beam. Uh, There's some great shots the here. Cloud. Though, I say. There's some great shots. Yeah, I mean for for 1993 that wasn't great. No, but the, that one the didn't shot over, that's over right. shoulder school. Like that's interesting. Uh, the. They shout at it, creates a light beam at the cloud. It's then the old O'Keefian. man keels over. Uh, but be- then the cloud sends beams of boom boom that starts blowing up the village. Uh, all of this. Yeah, what did you think? So I'm just curious, Mike, what did you think was going on at this point? Well, it's funny. Like the previous, what we've learned about previous episodes has had me thinking. And there was even some dialogue that sort of indicated that maybe it's not real, maybe it's a created thing, or it seemed like there was some, um, at least on... Like a hologram. Yeah, yes, that's what he said, is it a hologram? And the people, it it was funny because they didn't seem to be in imminent danger, but then they were, but I didn't quite understand, like, what from, was it shooting light? It was very confusing, but I mean, the major... They, we got to fix the problem. There's a monster. We got to figure out what's going on. That, that made sense. We have to yell at the cloud. The twisty that's, twist that's... here was kind of interesting. Yeah. So as Act Three begins, the attack continues, and the old man tells O'Brien to take his place. Uh, so then Prospero Cyrano's O'Brien and gets him to give a pep talk to the villagers. Colomini looks vaguely embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it works. And the villagers chase off the cloud. Uh, then the old guy dies. But the villagers declare <laughs> O'Brien this says the so new much. Syrah. This says a lot. <laughs> this says a lot. I mean, that there's a lot of elements in that shot. Should we like stagger and like look like we're like in a realistic place? No, 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 no just line up. It's good. Extras, yeah, yeah. That we have to fit in. We we paid for twenty extras, and they're every damn one of them is going in the shot. And then this guy, who I guess is in charge of something, is like Colin or O'Brien's the, the new chieftain. He's the Syrah. Yeah, okay, Syrah, Syrah. Indeed, I could use a Syrah while watching this episode. Uh, yeah, that's how we felt so, at this moment. Yeah, yeah. So he's like. What have I gotten myself into? Did I sign a six-year contract? I'm pretty sure I signed a six-year contract. <laughs> so uh, back on the station, Quark finishes telling Morn a story, and I swear I could hear, more, hear Morn make noises. Mm-hmm, yeah, there was uh, some. There was a noise or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of breaking your rules here. Kira shows up and wants a drink. Negotiations aren't going well. Uh, may I suggest a fine Syrah? Uh, in Cisco's office, he meets with Vera Sewell, trying to get her to negotiate better. She's taking a hard line and is very angry. She says she is willing to die for the land that apparently she stole. Yeah, well. I I don't, yeah. So, on the promenade, Jake and Nog argue about who gets the girl and discovers her sitting in their watching place. And they're like, wow, aren't there any other sets for the promenade? And she's like, no. 
it, which which is weird. Well, I mean, it is their like Jake and Nog's place. Yeah, it's their crow's so, nest. It's crow's nest. Yeah, it's their, it's their thing. Um, the set was actually huge. There's a ton of that set. Uh, they could have used more of it. Um, so she explains what's happening. Nog gives her some good advice about negotiating. All of this is done at about a third grade level. Uh, Vera, Sewell, and Jake bond about their dead parents, which I think is interesting. Uh, do we know yet what happened to Nog's mother? I don't think we've ever, we've ever mentioned it. Uh, mm. Because, like, there's a story there to be told about all of these kids with with dead parents and she's sort of like an orphan and there's 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 a story there we we didn't choose there's to tell also it, like there was the there's a the the vibe that and i think this ends up being i'm going to chalk it up to actually a good performance there's a vibe that she's sort of flirty with jake she's giving me vibe i was getting vibes on jake's behalf and i gotta say jake is a cool cucumber man he's got some game um <clears throat> nog not so much but jake definitely no, has some game Nog less, yes. Yes. So, and I think that the way that that all plays out when we find out what her motivations are was kind of, was cool because it had me a little bit kind of fooled. I thought this was going to just be like a Huck Finn type of situation, the kids being kids, but she, she's definitely in a different spot. She, there is the attempt at that. We'll, we'll get to it, but it's like, she's doing something. Yeah. The something turns out to be nothing, but she is trying to do something. Right. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, so back on Bajor, Bashir and O'Brien uh, chat. Bashir is delighted and eating a pear. Yeah, J- Bashir is having the best time. He is really enjoying how uncomfortable O'Brien is about being the new. But also, uh, there's like a sort Sarah. of like, I don't know, what would one say? Sort of like a. Uh, cataclysmic event taking place but i guess i guess they're like we could leave at any time so yeah i mean all these villagers are gonna die but like this is delightful looking at you being uncomfortable and the produce here uh, is wonderful and and great produce uh so uh o'brien is skeptical about it all uh he doesn't want to be the Syrah, but the villagers bring gifts for their new Syrah, including ladies Apparently prostitutes? Not so apparently. This, explicitly. Explicitly. So like this, oh, here we're we're like this happy like little farming village. We're like we're 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 simple villagers. Please take these prostitutes. Was the old man availing himself of these yeah, prostitutes? Dude. I mean I I just wanna know what the economy is here. I mean, I, I mean I, all right. Because, um, you know, he could go so raw night long. <laughs> freak me, freak me, freak me. Wow. Why do you let me do this? <laughs> <laughs> we you wanted to record it. in Nine the afternoon. Seasons? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so the ladies show up Bashir continues to be delighted O'Brien's tricorder is very interested but his head says no uh, blah blah they want O'Brien to stay permanently and he's like nah he decides the only way to fix it is to find out exactly what's going on so uh, in act 4 Cisco lets us know that negotiations are still going badly uh, Jake and Nog shows up at the girls' quarters to try and cheer her up. 
She asks how to know if she's making the right choice. Nog reminds her the value of instinct. Um, also, just look at the situation, and you can't divert a river to change the land. Yeah, but, but like whatever opportunity. There's like a vague attempt at like connecting it to the laws of acquisition and such, and I mm-hmm. think that that. The effort's not – there wasn't a stronger – Nog made about as much of a effort in connecting those ideas as the writing team did. So. No, no, for sure. You know, and I, I, I think this – the attempt here is to talk about valuing your instincts, which the uh, the Ferengi, especially in the negotiations, are very instinctual mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They, they sense opportunity. Um in this pati- the way we understand what these negotiations are sort of undercuts all of that but uh whatever it also feels so like it also feels like sh- I, I i didn't i i guess what i don't understand is like yes she was being somewhat petulant in the beginning but here all he really offers he doesn't like get into the weeds and exp- and give her a, this brilliant idea he's just basically like Maybe you could offer something that maybe you could compromise, and that's sort of the extent of the plan. Well, and that's and that's the thing. Like comprom, it felt Sesame Street. I expected like compromise to show up on the screen, compromise, and explain like what it is. Right, a, but then, but grade. then, but that's basically what Ben had said in the beginning. He's like, "You're gonna have to. You guys are gonna have to work it out." But she's like, "I don't trust you." So is the journey that. Nog teaches her that she should compromise, and 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 Jake teaches her that she should trust Ben, who already gave her the advice that Nog gave her. And, and it's well, right? Because if 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 Cisco were like, I think you should do this, and she's like, I don't know if I can trust you. Okay, that's a story. If there was a compromise that we saw on screen that actually had anything to do with the plot, that she was, you know, like there was a solution there that could have been about. It was neither of those things. None of that. And like they haven't happened. really established like these three like had a great friendship yet, but they just they've been hanging out because they like broke into her apartment. And but I guess and but <laughs> then right. they but then after they have this come to Jesus moment here is when they have their little like uh, mischief fun quote in, right, in right. hard so, quotes. So it's all kind of out of order as well. So so now let's be horrible to somebody to, uh, to celebrate their discussion of compromise. compromise. Uh, Nog decides to steal Odo's bucket. It is the first time we see Odo's bucket. Uh, they do the heist, and Nog pranks Jake by throwing oatmeal on him and saying it's Odo. They have a food fight. It's hilarious. Then, of course, Odo shows up, and they're caught. Um, which, frankly, it's just, it's very cruel. <laughs> and even her, even, uh, what's her name? Vera Sewell. Vera Sewell's like, this ain't cool. We shouldn't like – this, is this – she says to Ben ostensibly in the hallway, she's like – not Ben. She says to Jake in the hallway, she's like, "Why? how is this fun? And Jake's like, uh – Well, and if you think about – if you think of like the alien species as like a race, right? It's just it's, – it's like really like ugh, just making fun of him because of the, the aspects of his species. I don't know. But to be fair, um, Jake, it, be, it wasn't really about Odo. Jake like sets it up like it's going to be. And he just, he's, he, he, he just, it's, it's just, it's like, it's a prank, buddy. Come on. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we see Odo's Plus bucket. he nailed it. That's, he got it. It was a great prank. He, he got Jake it, hard. Whew. Well, he got nogged. So, uh, uh, 
Back on Bajor, O'Brien and Bashir investigate. A woman asks Bashir to bless her baby. Mm-hmm. And of course he does, and a crowd gathers. And then we see the old guy's apprentice looking envious in the background. Ooh, there he is. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm so envious. And you're like, you know Urgh. what? If you gave me a million dollars, I could wager. Then in the next scene, he's going to try to kill O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. He's got that I'm going to kill you face. Uh, and they meet up with the apprentice. And the apprentice is super salty because he wants the job. Then abruptly, he pulls a knife and attacks O'Brien. Bashir even even more arrives. abruptly, O'Brien and Bashir are like, they feel no threat. And they're just like, they just like kindly. And then in, in like a joke line, O'Brien's like, so why'd you try to kill me? Mer. They have a very long, very awkward wrestling match with the knife. Uh, and that is He's what like, gets well, I got- us into. I'm not going to say that. Forget it. Into. <laughs> We uh we arrive in Act Five because we're like I've watched four commercial breaks and I'm keeping coming back. The apprentice explains that he's been training for nine years, but the old guy gave away his job to punish him punish him because he wasn't able to control the Dalrog when he got his tryout. So that uh, so can you explain them? Are the were the machinations made clear of that? Like what happened? How did he screw it up? Well, apparently he wasn't able to get the town to yell at the cloud effectively enough. Oh, okay. That was confusing because – so he just wasn't – he didn't – okay. Uh, all right. He he didn't tell the story with enough verve. Mm-hmm. He didn't – he gave you – he didn't give you Reading Rainbow, right? He gave you like a shitty audiobook. Yeah. He, well, it was a matinee. Yeah. They needed, so, a, they needed some uh, more LeVar Burton in that storytelling. Well, don't we all? Uh, he shows them a bracelet with an orb fragment that they use to control the Dalrog. So the deal is the village used to be divided. So the original Syrah used a fragment to make the Dalrog and used the villagers' emotions to fight it off, thus uniting them, creating a mutual enemy for the village. So the rest of the year... They're like they don't fight as much because I get well they're they're all best friends now because they shout out a cloud together. Yeah, but they're like mad at this guy. They're not very kind to everybody. Uh, you know what? We're not going to waste more time f- making sense of it than they did. We've already spent more time <laughs> trying to understand it than they did. So I, they create so I, the, the, the interesting orb, they created the bad guy in order to. So if they created the bad guy, then why not have a fa- some sort of failsafe? So the, they created a bad guy with actual stakes that could actually kill them. Seems silly. Well, and are they are are they actually controlling it, or are they not? Because uh, we're I guess we're to believe that the town's emotions yelling at the cloud is actually what makes it go away, not the the bracelet. Well, you do see that like weird stone. light come out of their like collective heads, but then you never see the bracelet right. in action when we get to the scene. It's no. It is now it could be that Keith and I just weren't looking closely enough. It's very possible, but it seemed pretty asinine through and through to me. No, it makes no sense. The the interesting thing that matters in the bigger picture is they chipped off a fragment of an orb. And they also said we this. saw the orb before. They said we've seen one of these orbs before on our ship. Well, because we saw it in the pilot. 
Oh, it wasn't one of the things that Oda was selling in like the back markets with what's her bucket? No, 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 no. This this is one of the orbs of the prophet oh. um, from from the pilot. That those are the very important orb thingies that will we're gonna care about more later. I didn't know you could chip off a piece and make it do magic, but we can this week. But then how do you like and then what kind of sorcery? You're like, how do you how did you incant? It's like a summons from Final Fantasy. How did you like summon this cloud monster from the forest sky? What? <laughs> and 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 you have to tell us so the purpose of the telling the story is to get the villagers riled up and focused enough and together enough to send their like heart beams into the angry cloud and that makes it go away but the bracelet's really the thing that's doing it. Well that's what makes like this the fi- the finale se- the final scene really bizarre because you'd think if the whole purpose here is let's get our shit together, let's organize and like and yell at the at the monster, why would they spend all this time yelling like, "No, not you, apprentice! We need the stranger," because he's wearing the Joseph he's wearing Joseph's amazing Technicolor dream coat. <laughs> yeah, uh, they have time to be very particular. Okay, they're like we all right, brace. All right, uh, we have to keep going. Um, O'Brien happily gives the guy a second chance, who just tried to stab him. And then this but guy, then, whose role is not explained, is like, no. Is he the mayor? Is he just like the tallest one? <laughs> you know like, who would be really helpful here, he? Keith? If, if only we knew someone who was versed in the culture of Bajor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe she was too busy not, being. But, she was too busy being sort of like a, a terrorist or a counter terrorist. Well, the problem is, this isn't a spec script for the next generation. It's not supposed to take place on Bajor at all. It's supposed to be like a like weird primitive planet of the week. Uh, anyway. Um, but So this guy shows up and says, no, you can't give the apprentice a second shot. It's got to be O'Brien. And O'Brien's like, uh, all right. Okay, sure. Back in Cisco's office, Vera Sewell apologizes for their behavior. She gets that they did. She does understand that they uh, that Jake and Nog did stupid things to impress her. She explains that she was hanging out with Jake to find out more about Cisco, uh, and she's afraid that if she makes concessions to the opposing side, the opposing side will think she's weak. Cisco continues to tell her to compromise, uh, and she decides to take Nog's advice. So. Here's where we get to the All right, so she's playing playing along with Jake and Nog because she's trying to get intel on Cisco. But why? Cisco's just saying like compromise. He's sort of just That's like not mediating like this the weird... meeting, right? It's not like he's making he made any con- or he offered any concessions and she's no. He's not offered any specific things where like if you know, if he offered something, all right, give them back the river on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'd want to know, like, is this person suggesting this biased in some fashion? But he's not making an – he doesn't have any specific plan. He's just saying be reasonable. I don't know even, I don't know how much, like, reference information you need to, like, hang out with the dude's son to find out if it's reasonable to be reasonable. Uh, yeah, I, I can't offer anything. It seemed weird. Like, I mean, I like – I guess I could buy – in the performance that she was, I think she was like enjoying hanging out with people her age. I think she concedes as much. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But also like she had, you'd think, oh, she must be a great leader because she's 
learning or or that her journey to being a better leader is learning to get it. Oh, it's storming. Getting advice from other. I'm really trying to make this work, Keith. It's just, it it wasn't great. Or or even like if, if the story was, she realizes, Oh, you know what? My parents really did screw over these people. And to be a good leader, I'm going to fix the, the mistake of my parents. But that's not the story. Right. That would be an, that'd be a much more interesting story if Cisco was like, look, I'm not on the media and was really being partial, but like, you know what? You, you're like in the wrong on this. Like, that would make sense. That's, that would be a story that, whatever. Uh, on Bajor, O'Brien goes out to be Prospero again. He starts to tell the story and naturally fails. Uh, Bashir tells the apprentice to go take his place. And that was what the old guy's plan was all along. Yeah, Bashir really f- pulled that one out of nowhere. He sure did. That's The cloud shot. starts to uh, boom stuff again. And the apprentice finally stands up and does the thing. But first, let's respect this. Because Colomini did that. Oh, man. That's also not a flattering angle to shoot people at. I would not raise a camera right up at them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, they were really into this cloud effect, and it wasn't very ominous, but it did, it did blink a lot. I mean, it definitely looks like a forest monster to me. This guy uh, told the shit out of the story, Keith, really. He told the story so good, they sent their feelings up into the sky, uh, Here and they go. get very excited about wine. Sarah, Sarah, yeah, and the tall guy the extra, concedes. He's like, "All right, it, he was right. He, he. I mean, he has been training for nine years, after all." Yeah, as opposed to some dude who just showed up. Uh, but actually, go go back one, because just in terms of like Star Trek makeup design nerd stuff, you see the woman in the foreground there has the little head ridge that we we know. Um, from earlier versions of Bajorans as like Ensign Rowe has one of those that slowly gets sort of migrated and written off of the series because it's extra makeup. But I do like the fact that they sort of have a little bit of both here. And then we sort of accept that, Oh, some of them have it. Some of them don't. And then we don't notice the change as much. So the, the makeup design, the little detail work that is actually cool. So, uh, so that happens. The apprentice, like, you know, no harm, no foul for apparently attempted murder. No, that's cool, also misunderstanding. But whatever. So and then uh, they they say that thing that I love when they say it. They're like, "Let's get out of here." And so then let's they, get out of here. So we head back to the station. The girl is going to compromise, and she kisses Nog on the cheek. Yay! Good for Nog. Uh, he <laughs> gives a really good performance there. And uh, Bashir and O'Brien arrive back on the station. And they're friends now after all of the hijinks that they went through, which actually is one of the important beats of this story, is building their friendship. So at least not all of the time was wasted because we're beginning to tell some of Bashir and O'Brien's story. And so, then unfortunately, um, O'Brien f- checks his email and realizes he's got about eight days worth of work to catch up on now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and apparently his commander will send him. And I think I should point out here the trip to Bajor, they're not in orbit. They don't just beam down. That's like an eight-hour shuttle ride. <laughs> so it's like you're going to like Europe from here in terms of their trip. So like it's not just like eh, hey, just hop down there and see what's what. 
all right. So I think it is time now that we have uh, we've done all that for Mike's vocab quiz. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Mike, your first term. I do not is have high hopes. Sarah. Oh, well, yeah, the Sarah, Keith, is the storyteller. He is the one who wields the magical orb bracelet that must tell the story with such fervor that he can coalesce the collective emotional resonance of his people to mm. to send emotion boomsticks to the cloud monster from the sky forest. <laughs> yeah. Affirmative. Oh, wow. So good. Your next word is Dalrock. Keith, Dalrock is what Nog is rocking in those in that spacesuit when he sees that girl walking by. <laughs> no! Oh, wait. No, no. What I meant to say... Nog is a child! <laughs> What's wrong with... Oh, that's the wrong bumper. Oh, God, you got me all fakakta. Dalrock is the sky monster cloud beam O'Keefean sword orb machine. <laughs> okay, that's better. Affirmative. All right. Now, I think it is time to come along home. What do you say, Mike? Yeah, let's... T- What is the with that guy who's okay. dancing? The come along home guy. What you keep that? What what part of the episode was that? What he's doing? Oh, it's a it's an app. Oh, I th- I did that in post. No, oh, okay. <laughs> it was <that's> so disturbing. <laughs> Every bit of it. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't actually do that uh, in the, in the show. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk more about this episode beginning. With wormholes in the plot, where do you even begin, Mike? All right, I think that I'll let you speak to the sort of the political and strategic and conflict resolution wormholes uh, in the A case, or we don't say that on the show on the in the A story. Uh, the one that's more confusing is in it. Look, we have to just shout out the irony here in an episode called "The Storyteller." The mm. storytelling is very poor uh, yeah. because we'll get to the big question, which is I have, which I have is, is the, is the why was like, or the what, what story are we telling? Right. That's my biggest question. But as far as wormholes goes, we say this, we've, this has been our wormhole issue for a couple of weeks running now. We got to get better about the machinations of what, is happening with the with, with the antagonist of the episode. In this case, the big cloud monster thing is not well explained. What it's doing, how you actually fight it, can you fight it? Is it actually posing a threat? Can they are they going to actually be killed? Why would you have created a monster that could actually kill you when you could just it seemed like they were doing <clears throat> it. What I thought was going to happen is that they were going to come to learn that the thing was was man was of a fabrication, deal. and that they yeah. had the power all along. That they didn't actually, 
But that wasn't what happened. It seemed like it was actually a monster and they had to get story told real good in order to collective – it didn't make any goddamn sense, which is a problem when the the whole thing is about – like what – we could have maybe done a whole awesome kind of philosophical exploration of storytelling and why the the demonstrative performance of this person, how that – motivated them and there was like a touch of that in his like the way he spoke in that last performance but not nearly enough to really drive home maybe that that was the point of the episode so that's the wormhole i wanted to discuss is that it just i don't understand the whole monster thing i mean they did it they did yeoman's work trying to explain it but then they introduced the the, 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 the meteorite and the, the whole thing was messed up well and it's i i think that there's there is a story to tell there about our our cultural shared stories creating a cultural identity that unifies people. Here are, you know, like that whether it's the founding of the country or a war or a culture, whatever, we share a story as a community and like, okay, we have symbolism, right? We're going to rally around the flag or whatever it is. There's something to be said about how stories, whether they're true or not, and threats stories based on shared threats i you know create culture and 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 unify okay th- there's a story there cool that's we a didn't great tell pitch. That that's a great all. i was going to say that's a great episode pitch but i don't feel like that's what was pitched not in the slightest yeah. no so uh yeah i think you've got the 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 wormholes there the wormholes on the negotiation case was we didn't actually ever talk about negotiations <laughs> right? Yeah, we never like, even it, see the other dude again. We never saw the other dude again. We never saw the compromise that apparently she did make. We never even they never she never even talked about what she wanted or didn't want. They they outlined what the conflict was, but then we spent how many minutes on compromise? It's Sesame Street. And it, when, it, at least in Sesame Street, the, they'd say you have three apples and they have two pears and you give each other apples and pears. Let me reverse that. Had the pitch been, which is what I thought, my pitch would have been, okay, we have this – we're introduced to this young leader who's lost her parents and is thrust into a leadership role at a very young age and is forced mm. to be much more mature than she is. And because of that, she feels like she has to portray a really tough exterior, which is – holding back negotiations. It is not until she's introduced to people, peers her age, who reintroduce her to the some childlike wonder, and that childlike wonder opens doors in the negotiation that help her learn to be a better leader. That's a great pitch. No, absolutely. The, the, the fact that she's a child is weirdly not a part of the story other than it gives her an excuse to hang out with Jake and Nog. It's not like she's not being held back in the negotiations because she's a child. She's not being underestimated. She's not, you know, like she's handling it in sort of an immature fashion, but not because she's a child, but because she doesn't want to appear weak. It doesn't like it's just a thing that it's a thing that was there as opposed to part of the story. It also introduces like a weird, a, a weird most of it is totally consistent with the arc and journey that Nog and Jake have been on and where they're at. It works for me on that. The thing that is, we kind of have understood that they're kind of good kids, right? They're like 
pretty much right. good kids, and they're like helping each other tutor and stuff. So it's weird that they introduced the whole sort of shenanigans business, and Odo's keeping an eye out for them, and oh, they got in trouble. Like, I, I get it. I mean, it's fine that they can also be mischievous. That's cool because I'm sure that that will introduce levity as we move forward. But it just felt like pigeonholed into this one. Or, but and again, I I think that's I think that's a really good point because it's it wasn't there because there was a point to it that we're going to learn that she needs to lighten up or there are consequences for your immaturity or this is like something to do with Odo and something it just happens it's the thing that happens as opposed to a piece of the story and and so it's just, and I just don't think Jake it just doesn't it feels inconsistent that Jake would get. Jake would be a party to that kind of mischief. Like right. that he would break into Odo's apartment and steal his sh- like that seems like Jake would not do that. Well, and and because it was also the there's something mean about it that it's like I'm going to make fun of you for something you can't control as opposed to let's you know like Odo's too uptight. Let's find some pranks to like get him to lighten up or teach him that he's being too rigid or whatever. This is like you have this species thing about you and we're going to make fun of it, which, again, it's just not a good color. Uh, All right. So let us let us just mercifully move forward. Mike, what was your best moment? You know, I got to say that. So I had a couple. uh, This is weird. I liked a lot, a lot. I liked all of the location shots. I really did. As weird as all that was, I thought that it felt different. I liked the different color palette that we're not used to seeing. A lot of our away mm-hmm. missions have been very dark and browns and kind of. This was a very colorful, bountiful type of location. I enjoyed that. I liked sort of. I got to say, as as off as kind of out of nowhere as and inconsistent as it was, I liked seeing Bashir's sort of. You know, it was in the Come Along Home episode. He also, he has this enjoyment in these situations where everybody else is freaking out or Ben's just trying to figure out what's going on. He Bashir enjoys himself, and, and I'm starting to enjoy that part of his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but what I want to point out here, I'm going to go back, because I first I was thinking to myself that Nog was giving me, I was questioning whether I, enjoy, I was enjoying the performance of Nog. Mm. It felt a little extra, uh, and I'm you know kid actors, so there's some grace there. But then I, well, but then I thought to myself, he Ferengis have been established by older older actors, and when you start to align his performance, a Ferengi performance as a kid, to comparing that to some of the traits and vocal patterns and physical manifestations that some of the adult actors have portrayed as Ferengis, it's actually pretty spot on, which makes me think he's actually giving a pretty great performance within the boundaries of what has been laid out for him for the species, in addition to adding in adolescent corner touchstones that we can associate with specifically as dudes, but, you know, as just people who have humans who have been young. So I actually really enjoyed Nog's performance and Bashir's performance in this episode. Those are my favorite moments. Yeah. And I I should point out that uh, Aaron Eisenberg, who plays Nog, was actually 24 when he filmed this. Are you at, Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he's small because he uh, 
had a, a kidney transplant when he was five. Oh, crap. Then, then he's a, that's pretty he's, astounding. He's a, he's a full-grown adult. Wow. I would, never would have known that. This. Never would have guessed that. Yeah. Well, it, it again, that speaks to the really good performance in there, being yeah. able to have that sort of youth. Yeah, and in, have that relationship. There. How old is the actor playing Jake? Uh, let's, let's see. Uh, he's obviously closer to his... <laughs> Because they've established a really age. cool friendship. I, I think I said it on my watch along. I think the Jake Nog relationship is the most fleshed out, well-worn relationship we've seen on the show thus far. And continues to grow. <laughs> Ten million strong and growing. growing. What is that? What is that? Yeah. That's uh isn't it like a We are Flintstone kids. Flintstone, yeah, something like that. Uh so uh, Sarah Clavin was 15. Good for them. Good for them for having yeah. such a great – portraying such a, a close friendship of kids close in age. And they are. That's great acting. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so my best moment I, – uh, I I think it's the very opening scene with Bashir and O'Brien with the Sir discussion because uh, O'Brien's sort of um, passive-aggressive use of Sir – yeah, and Bashir's kind of sheepish challenging of it, I thought was an int- was a good character beat for both of them, um, and then I th- I thought it was like the most realistic conflict through this thing. And it offers a great uh, uh, bookend at the end when he's like, you know what? On second thought, mm, yeah. don't call me Julian. Well, yeah, and and they're able to like now joke and tease each other a little bit, and um, you know, they're they, we're we're planting seeds right for the relationship moving forward. But that felt the most like human <laughs> and lived in piece of that. Uh, all right, so Mike, I think it's time to give this an episode rating. How many self stealing stem bolts does this episode get? You know, the the best compliment I can give the show so far is that even in its kind of crappier episodes, there's still an alchemy that is working. There's a mojo that – it feels like a show finding its footing, creating its identity, and it can't be full steam ahead. You're going to have some stumbling blocks. This definitely feels like – and you're going to, I guess, give me a bit more specifics about it, but this definitely feels like they were handed something – and they had to try to make it work. Uh, or they ran out of time, or it feels lazy, but there's enough that makes it me think that it wasn't just they phoned it in. It's first season, it's hard to think. The problem I have, if I'm being honest, like I mentioned before, it's called The Storyteller, and it doesn't fulfill that promise. <laughs> it doesn't, you keep waiting for it, like just because these guys are, they have, to, and, and it doesn't even make any sense if we're getting down to it. These guys have to tell a story, but it's not really a story they're telling, right? It's really happening. That's the right. other thing. It's it's he's just describing what's taking place. And apparently, if they do this once a year, why do they need to hear this story? Really, he's not. It's not the storytelling that is. He, they're looking for a leader, right? They need a public speaker. Right. They're looking for like a looking uh, someone to fire up the crowd. Yeah, like a hype man. They need Flava Flav. They need really. a hype man. Yeah, they, they need, need Flava Flav. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly so, right. So. Uh, and then in the other story, it's it, it's funny that the the I guess we open with the political the compromise case case the compromise story that really that really kind of uh, foreshadows what's going to happen with the storyteller bit because it's a it's a 
it's it's a conflict in search of a or it's a resolution in fate. I don't know what I'm trying to think. It's it doesn't make any sense. Neither do they. They set up these two war opposition things, which and then and then there's never any. Uh, the whole thing just feels like there's no there there, right? Yeah. There's no there no, there for sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's not good. Uh, this, the good performances and some funny little things aside, and some great effects cannot save a bad episode, Keith. It's no. it's it. It might be worse than Come Along Home. At least there were some bits in there that kind of were fun. I think I got to go. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Four. D. 38 self-stealing stem bolts. (laughs) 38 self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad episode. I I hate this episode. I, 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 and I was excited because I wanted uh, an O'Brien Bashir buddy cop. Sounds good to me. No, and, and we're going to get a lot of that and it's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, this is one that I particularly remember when it comes up on my rewatch. I'm like, pass, pass. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I, I think that the backstory of this being an idea, like a pitch idea that had been moldering for years from next gen really makes sense to me. Um, they just like, they have a, like you have a stack of ideas of like maybes, mm-hmm. whatever. And like, Oh, if we get in a jam, like we'll just do this one. And that's sort of what happened here. Uh, but, and I say this from the standpoint of being a writer, Right. Unfortunately, a bad idea is still a bad idea, even if you're desperate. And it's just not a good, it's not a good episode. It's not, it's not, it doesn't know what it's trying to say. It's not really trying to say anything. Um, I think that the Star Trek suffers from um, episodes about dumb, dumb villagers. Like wearing yeah. their like jammies and smocks and who don't, like, are they... Like, is the story that they're dumb dumbs? Like, because it's like, this could be a story about mythology and religion. And, you know, there are plenty of Star Trek episodes about like, oh, these, these villagers from this planet that's not as advanced as us. They have these weird mythologies and beliefs and it's causing them trouble. Or they come upon a piece of technology they don't understand and they create a mythology about it, whatever. Um, but just like so many dumb, dumb villagers in pastels that happen on Star Trek. And this is a particularly egregious version of that because they're really dumb and they don't do anything. Well, it um, just doesn't seem thought out. I'm sorry to get to harp on the same thing. No, it's not thought out. No, none of this so is thought the, out. So you decide, right? You're going to make your big, your big fix. Okay. So one civilization decides we're going to send our warring factions out to a planet and let them right. be in hell. Okay. That's a bold choice. Another bold choice is we're going to create a monster, create a monster to scare the people so that one person can like rah-rah psych them up. And that person is going to – it's very Star Wars. And that and that Jedi is going to have a uh, a a Padawan or like a, a, a learner, right. right? But there's no contingency. If that learner has one bad day, we have to beckon a stranger also, from the galaxies and then teach them? And And – Nine years, this guy has been the apprentice. Nine years. What is the job? The job is to hit your Fitbit and say, 
uh, for this monster has been coming for a long time, but we got this. Actually, that's, that's, a, that's a wormhole slash question, too, we didn't cover. Let's go back to the uh, – what's the, the Syrah, the original Syrah, old Syrah. Right. Okay. What was his actual plan? If his plan is, as Bashir described, to fake being sick, pick another guy, a stranger, to be the Syrah, fake – but just fake it so that he could encourage the other guy to have to save the day? No, no, no. It, it, it wasn't that. It was after nine years, my parent, my apprentice sucks, and this whole thing is predicated on people believing this works, and he lost the faith of the audience. So we have to set up a situation by which they can he can regain their faith by stepping up in the end. Like that was what that was. So was he not planning on dying, or he was like, "This is my last"? No, no, no. Effort. He was dying. Okay. Like he was like he was actually trying to do the handoff, and the apprentice screwed up. So this was his. Okay. How do I fix this before all I right. die? Okay. So, uh, yeah, we all want to move forward with our lives. Um, so I think about the stem bolts for this, and we've now had two of, like, the top ten worst episodes of Deep Space Nine uh, with Move Along Home and this. And for me, and I gave Move Along Home, I can't believe, 21 out of 100 self-stealing stem bolts. And I think for this... I have to go below that. Oh, what did I Not, give it? You gave it 28. Oh, so I gave this a better rating? You gave this one a better rating than Move Along Home. And it, it, that might be a little low for Move Along Home. It might be a little unfairly low. However, this one, Move Along Home suffered from a utter lack of cohesion in any sense of what was going on and just <laughs> being thought through and what they're trying to say, blah, 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 blah. But it this one suffered from all of that and it's boring. Yeah. And so at least move along uh, home. Sorry, did I'm not I'm gonna defend it for a moment. At least yeah. it at least lived up to the title. It clearly established it's gonna be about games and a, a, a live-action Jumanji-type game, and that's what it was. Whether it was satisfying or not, it was what it was. This is called the storyteller, oh. and it's not it's nothing really to do with that. Well, it, it was it was a hot bag of nonsense, but this is a cold bag of nonsense because like it. it's it's not it's not even interesting. So uh, for that, you get eighteen self sealing stem bolts. My goodness, yeah, that was a uh, that was that was a rough one, folks. Yeah, this well, this was good. a rough episode. Um, this is according to IMDb the seventh worst episode of Deep Space Nine. So it's in the bottom 4%. Um, I would argue it's worse than that. Um, there are other episodes which aren't good, for sure. And there's like one or two that are like, they're really that lowly read because they're kind of offensive. Mm. But this one was just boring. So, boo. You know what boo else is that. boring? Oftentimes us. But if you'd like to give us money, you can do that. By heading over to <laughs> patreon.com slash K and M, uh, at least it'll uh, make your wallet as empty as the logic of yeah, this episode. Do like another hot bag of garbage or <laughs> boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That really well, was, I was disappointed. Next week, I was disappointed, I gotta say. Yeah, it wasn't good. Next week, uh, aptly titled, We Are Watching Progress. Uh, so that will be. 
I, th- I think that's out. I can't believe we're so close to the end of the first season. Well, it's it's a short. Okay, it's only first twenty season. episodes. It's only twenty episodes as okay. opposed to the usual twenty six or twenty six. So, uh, yeah, it is a slightly abbreviated first season. So, um, there we go, folks. Next week, progress. Uh, patreon.com slash k and m give us a like give us a uh, subscribe tell your friends uh i know if you're a deep space nine person you've got deep space nine friends uh have them come join us uh we promise to be every bit as bad or as good no we promise to be as bad as the bad episodes and not as good as the good episodes that's what we do here at k and m entertainment mike till then this has been Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.